Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I am your host for today, Ben Myers, and this is going to be a slightly different show because our co-host, Mr. Steve Cameron, is sick. He is not here today. I'm flying solo. I reached, I tried to get a, a guest host, was a little bit, uh, a little bit too last minute. So I am here by myself, and I guess I'll just go right into reading our sponsor. The Toronto Under Construction podcast is brought to you by the Plus Group. They're comprised of five distinct companies, RN Design, SRN Architects, Salesfish Software, Kool-Aid Studios, and Studio Uno ID, offering services and marketing, architecture, interior design, and real estate software. Their mission is simple, to revolutionize the real estate industry through efficiency, innovation, and quality while adding value to the client experience. For more information on the Plus Group or any of their five companies, please visit plusgroup.ca. So today's guest joined the Dorsey Developments in 2021 as Senior Vice President of Residential, and she has over 20 years of experience in the development industry. She has previously worked for development heavyweights Daniels and Tridell, and most recently worked as Vice President of Development for Hallmark. Welcome to the show, Leona Savoy. Did I, did I say the last name correctly? Savoy, but I'd say ninety percent of the population pronounces. I was going to ask you, but okay. I, I was going to ask you before how to pronounce it. I'm like, yeah. no, I know how to say it. All good, all good. I'm used to it. So again, welcome to the show. I appreciate you you coming. I don't have my co-host, so we don't have the same, you know, witty banter to to, to bounce off of him. But I'll try to be uh, the one one man with one man. <laughs> I've never met Steve. I was looking forward to it. Uh, a little disappointed. A little disappointed. A little bit, yeah. But I mean, hey, Ben, you and I go way back. We and go I way think back. This is yes. Be fun. I, Thank you. I go back to your 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 Rockport days. Yes. I think so. It's yeah. been it's been a while. So, but let's let's go back even further than that. I'm gonna I'm gonna set the scene for you. It's the late 1990s. You're in your your dorm room. You're listening to some Truly Madly Deeply by Savage Garden. You are <laughs> thinking about graduating with a planning degree in Ryerson. What what were the plans? Um, it was a little strange, actually. Um, in 1994, um, uh, that's when I started. And first year, we just started hearing awful rumors that anyone that was graduating from the program didn't get jobs. Oh, no. <laughs> so a number, I mean, it was in the thick of the 90s recession, you know, probably, and, you know, how I ended up in planning, don't even know either. You yeah. know, it was, I wanted to be an architect. Okay. <laughs> wanted to be an architect, and um, my fallback was planning. Okay. You know? But in retrospect, I'm very happy I, I, I took this route. Um, uh, it's very dynamic career, dynamic um focus in school. Um, and I think most people entering into planning really don't know what planning is until you come out. You wow. know? And so 1994 it was a little turbulent. We started with a class of 110. And I think a lot of people in that class thought the same thing. It's like, what am I doing in this, this field? No one's graduating and can get jobs. The, yeah. the industry's dead. Um, what do I do? A lot of them left. We huh. like within a semester. Wow. Within a semester, we lost half of the class. You know, I think a huh. lot of it was weeding out. Yeah. But a lot of it, it was also about what's happening out there in the industry. Huh. Um, you know, fast forward three or four years later, we ended up um, 
it was pretty well our graduating class, which is only 38 people. It was the smallest graduating class, I, I think, since 1967. Um, and uh, we all stuck it out. And, and uh, we all graduated in 1998, um, you know, just on the upswing of, of yeah. the industry coming out of the recession in the 90s that all the, uh, you know, the old guard in the industry talk about it was a doomsday, you know, yeah. and, and it, 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 you know, I think it was doomsday. The industry was com almost completely dead yeah. or stalled um, until, call it the mid-90s when, you know, a few players started wake, waking up again and started thinking, hey, let's let's give it a go again. Yeah. So um, it was interesting times, uh, you know, going to Ryerson um, or now Toronto Metropolitan, uh, it was it was great being in the city in the mid nineties, you know, yeah. attending a campus right in the thick of the city. You know, I I had a a direct line through the path to go to the uh, Metropo um, Toronto Metro Library, which is in Metro Hall or the Toronto Reference Library. That's yeah. urban reference library. I forget <laughs> the name of it, but but I navigated the path to get there yeah. almost uh, twice a week. You know, to just pull down research all the time. But and also it was interesting to be there too because it was the city was full of, of parking lots, yeah. you know, of which the industry, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years later, just transformed, you know, King Spadina. What we know is King Spadina was just a sea of parking lots and clubs. Yeah. And that was, you know, our, our, our play field back in the Bindides, you know, when you're, you're at Ryerson. So okay. it was a very exciting time, okay. especially exciting coming into the industry and, and, and seeing how it was transformed over the past 25 years. Okay. So how did you end up with your first job at a development company? Um, actually, uh, my mom's side of the family comes from California, you know, right out of school. I was like, I'm going to move there. I'm going to try and get a, a job in planning in, oh, in okay. California. Wow. I tried for six months, you know, I fired <laughs> out tons of resumes and, um, I essentially, I think I collected for a while um, all of my rejection letters. <laughs> you know, I think uh, at the time, you know, they were they were coming out of uh, out of the recession holes well, and and they were hi hiring local people. You know, just of course, you know. Um, yeah. So I tried that out for a bit, and then uh, I gave up. I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a go in in the city and just network again. Like the first example of the strength behind your connections. Someone I went to school with was working at the uh, town of Markham. I said, we're looking to hire someone for, you know, call it glorified data entry. And, uh, you know, what do you say, Leanna? It was a shoe in and didn't have to apply. It was pretty well a verbal uh, referral. And I, I worked at the town of Markham for a hot second. <laughs> <laughs> but if anything, um, working at the town was great. You got a taste for kind of how things, the inner workings of a, a municipality, um, you know, and, you know, what motivates them, what keeps them ticking. Um, but at the same time, I also met a number of players, a lot of de developers over the counter. That's what okay. you got. The, most planning departments had a planning counter that yeah, yeah, yeah. you know developers could go to and, and seek information. Yeah. Um, I was that counter nice. planner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it was fun meeting a number of the developers like this is this is what I want to do. Yeah. You know, this is the you know, I want to be out part of the business side of, of planning. Yeah. So um, fast forward, call it a year. You know, I was on contract to contract at the time. I, you know, in fact, even the union was giving my boss a hard time saying, oh, you, you need to offer a full-time job soon. You know, we yeah. don't like these contracts. Yeah. But um, I went to school with uh, Paula Tenuta, who's, okay. wow. uh, you know, the senior VP of government relations at Build, in case, you know, yep. you don't know her. 
Um, and she just gave me the heads up. She sent me an email and said, heads up, um, Jack Wimber from Rockport is hiring. Um, why don't you give him a call? She sent me this email and I just, I wasn't looking to move really. Um, and I let it sit in my inbox for about a month. And I, and I was cleaning out my inbox, my email inbox, and um, I decided, oh, what the heck? I gave him a call at five o'clock. And had a conversation with him. And Did he answer his phone at 5 o'clock? He answered his phone at <laughs> wow. 5 o'clock. And we had an hour-long, call it informal interview. Wow. We just hit it off. And he says, I'd love to meet you. How about now? <laughs> and I'm looking at my you know, municipal employee you know, outfit. I said, ah, I don't know if I'm quite <laughs> quite uh, ready for for this. Yeah. Um, but you know, he said, well, how about tomorrow? And I said, sure. Yeah. So I, I walked in and... And we headed off and, you know, he's like, I think you just have this great energy, even though I only have one year worth of experience. But, you know, I think most people back then in development would just hire people, you know, based on connection. You know, it it was more, do do you like their energy? And especially if you didn't have much experience like me. So um, that was my my foray into working for a developer and builder at the time. So, so, yeah, the one thing I obviously I know about Rockport from and even back then is they were doing a wide variety of things like you know my early experience in the industry was there was hardly any high-rise players and everyone was doing low-rise but it seemed like jack was doing townhomes and nursing homes and (laughs) and and all kinds of stuff so what was it you know what were what do you remember about your early days and the projects you were working on well early days um he was completing off a project at shepherd and meadowvale like it was i think 250 unit infill townhome development with a central park. Uh, I believe it was pretty well complete. At least the first phase was complete. The second phase, I think, was well underway. Um, And then uh, I was brought on board to essentially manage and close out the plan of subdivision and a lot of, uh, of other sort of project closeouts um, items. <laughs> if anything, that was um, just a complete jump into um, figure out all the details that go behind a development. It, like I think working your way back from project closeout to actually the upfront stuff is very, very beneficial. Yeah. It allows you to see like the, the, the bigger picture or the end game. Um, but, you know, we're such a small team at the time too. Like even the construction, the VP of construction leaned on me quite a bit. He'd send me out to, to, to site to, figure out how to address, uh, you know, a leak over a parking, a parking stall, um, you know, with Terry or with on whip at the time, you know, the new home warranty program, yeah. huh. um, you know, with mechanical contractors, you know, <laughs> yours truly could probably tell you, you know, if a, if a sidewalk bay needs to be replaced completely or, you know, can be saw cut, you know, okay. instead. So, um, those are the things that I did. A lot of letter of credit closeouts. And then we were also launching a project up a new market called on Bogart Pond. So uh, I think he had uh, just completed the first phase and there was three phases to the townhome component as well as a, um, call it a mid-rise condominium on the north side of what was, you know, a man-made pond yes. in the center of it. Yeah. Um, great success, challenging site. You know, learned a lot, you know, about working with the conservation authority at the time, because they, even though it was a man-made pond, it was still had fish there that were spawning. And, you know, we had to, <laughs> there was a, some services that ran okay. underneath I know it. it was a, ma- a man-made pond. It was a man-made huh. pond, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what man-made could, 
evolves into what is now protected all throughout (laughs) the GTA. But if anything, that that was pretty exciting. Um, He also had a portfolio. You know, I think uh, the family, his his dad way back when, you know, built townhomes all over the the GTA and and the family held on to a number of uh, of holdings and just property managed them. They were rental, mostly townhome projects. Yeah. Yeah. So if anything, you know, my job there was also to look at um, redevelopment opportunities. So there, there was one that we actually acted upon that was uh, at Eglinton in Royal York, um, where I think I had 55 Maisonette-style townhomes that were three clusters over, I think it was five acres. It was a pretty large holding. And uh, we actually redeveloped it, or I worked on the plan. I ended up leaving after that, but he ended up acting on that plan that we worked on where to redevelop it keep the 55 rental townhomes, but also build a new retirement home. Okay, So that, that was one. Uh, worked on maybe another two two retirement homes and a nursing home. Wasn't there a, uh, yeah, a canceled project that you guys uh, flipped or something or changed or got government funding on? <laughs> Correct, yeah, no, if anything, <laughs> call it trailblazing. Back, I think it was in 2000, Jack acquired a site, um, or Rockport acquired a site at Eglinton and McCowan. Like it's a trailblazing area. Okay, yeah. And we launched a, a, a condominium called Trilogy. And, um, and funny enough, we launched it at $195 a foot. I even remember, <laughs> you know, we had to stay under $200 a foot. I mean, yeah. unheard of. Like it, it seems like yesterday, but it was a long yeah. time ago, and this is what prices were at the time. Um, and uh, just couldn't get reach our, our pre-sales yeah. at all. Um, but... Fast forward, I remember that day. I mean, it was a pretty sad day. You know, no one wants to cancel a project. But overnight, um, actually, it was a tenant of of, uh, of Jackson, the building that we actually had our office in. Um, he was close friends with a woman named Paula Jourdain that ran, ran a nursing home operating company called Specialty Care. Not sure if it exists anymore. It might have been wrapped up in some other um, company now. But... Uh, she says, what do you say? I think she was talking to Rockbird at the time of actually developing an, a nursing home alongside with Jack at the time. And sure enough, there was the timing was perfect. There was a, an RFP call from the Ministry of Health to build more um, nursing home beds. Uh, you had to have a zoned site ready to go. Literally within a month, we rolled up and, and made this submission. It, wow. was, it was so tight. It was huh. so tight, but we got there. And talk about a bad story gone good. Um, that was just a, a great, nice foray into um, Rockport's story of developing yeah. you know, retirement yeah. homes over the past That's it, 20 years. I, I, I have a yeah. feeling there's going to be a few of those type sites in, <laughs> in 2023. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about that no in doubt. previous podcasts and how the market is shifting. But we won't get there. We won't get there quite yet. I know that you uh, worked for a bunch of, of, of heavyweights. So, so okay. So, you've now you've moved on to Daniels, one of the biggest developers in uh, in the entire GTA. And uh, obviously, one of the biggest projects was the Bell Lightbox. So mm-hmm. Maybe you can give us a little little bit of color on that because that's a, that's a, you know, fundamentally changed the neighborhood, right? Uh, completely. Yeah. It was actually my first day that I arrived. Um uh, my direct report, Neil Haggard, he's still there, you know, leads, yeah. leads, leads uh, the development team. He he actually said, it's very exciting for you, Leona, you know, this is going to be your project. It's the new headquarters for wow. the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, you know, we're partnering with the Reitman family to develop the site and deliver the headquarters um, to 
to TIFF, you know, and uh, I, I was floored. I mean, that was pretty exciting. We went to the, the press release the following day and it was hitting the ground running. We had a superstar team, you know, Steve Diamond was still at McCarthy Tatro and he, yeah. was, he was leading the charge with with uh, Bruce Kuwabara and Shirley Bloomberg from KPMB. Wow. You know, we had, you know, great design right out of the gate. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a, you know, call it, it was the trailblazing site yeah. for King Spadina. It set the stage for the height all throughout that d district. Yeah. Um, it was hard. It was hard for the, the planning department because they didn't have the, you know, the secondary plan that was in place, setting in place all of the, you know, how everything was go going to grow in that quadrant of the city was set to all these warehouse, you know, these warehouse typology heights mm -hmm. and densities. And this was the first out of the gate, you know, in call it, I think it was 2002, um, to set the heights for tall buildings. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was the secondary plan was dated. I think the planning department knew that, but at the same time, they just didn't proactively plan for the area and they, I don't think they were ready for it. So if anything, um, uh, you know, the planning department was a kind of in a hard position because, you know, as you know, planning, planning in the city of Toronto or in the GTA is, it's all based on precedent, you know, but yeah. mostly in the city of Toronto, especially when you don't have the, the zoning in place. Um, but, uh, this one was really pushed through politically. Kyle Ray, uh, and Olivia Chow were, uh, were the local councillors at the time. That's nice. when they shared, yeah, shared so words. Kyle, Kyle Ray was pr probably one of the most <laughs> developer friendly councillors that Toronto's it, ever had, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it was shared, it was a shared ward, but recently they separated, okay. but Kyle still had very a strong affinity and strong ties to that particular ward. Yeah. And he just really wanted to see a deal done for a TIF. You know, he says, yeah. this is exciting and we need to do something here. So um, we settled out at the heights that, you know, TIFF sits at right now, and it really did set the stage. I mean, funny enough, I worked on a project at Tridel a few years later, and, you know, everyone, the planning department keeps on saying, no no taller than TIFF, no taller than TIFF. <laughs> that was, the, you know, that was the benchmark in the area for, yeah. for developers for a long time until I think a few other players just we're able to push that push the, you know, over, push, over the push years. Above the ed yeah. Edge. So yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us you we went from Daniels to Tridel. That's you know major <laughs> player, major competitors in the market. How did how did that sit uh, with your old bosses? Uh, I wasn't really actually funny enough. I wasn't looking to make a move. Um, and it was just a friend of mine that was at Tridel looking to build a team. Um, and, uh, you know, he lured me over with a, just a different setup. You know, yeah. so Tridel was set up a little bit differently than, than Daniel, Daniel's was. Daniel's was still in high growth mode, um, but didn't really have like a structure in place. Like you could be called a planning director or a planning coordinator and you still have the same kind of role where Tridel gave me a chance to sort of build, uh, grow into a management position. And yeah. that's what lured me over. But, um, you know, had nothing to do with the companies. You know, they're both working on really exciting things. Yeah. Um, they're both very reputable players in the industry. Um, it was just more about, I, I was chasing after the the, the, the experience more yeah. than anything. Neil, Neil's a fan of Steve Upton, who I was uh, going to report to at Tridel. And uh, he says, and even Mitchell too, Mitchell Cohen, he says, yeah. you couldn't be going to work for a, a better player. You okay. know, like uh, they were truly supportive. Yeah. 
And um, I couldn't have asked for a better departure from what you're calling a competitor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, very exciting. And, you know, I went from working on very, very exciting projects at Daniels to um, working on even more exciting projects at, at, uh, yeah. so, at Tridel. So I guess the, that Tridel time was really when the market just totally exploded uh-huh. right it, it yeah. went from you know i was i was obviously running a uh, data company at the time when the world was changing from low-rise housing to high-rise mm-hmm. and just everyone wanted to talk about condos so mm-hmm. so which uh, any any project particularly stick out in your mind from those days and try it all uh hallmark center yeah, yeah. and also north toronto collegiate redevelopment yes so. that's an interesting i was going to ask about that because <laughs> yeah. We've only had a couple of schools integrated with uh, with condo projects, so maybe, uh-huh. maybe tell us a little bit about the challenges of that one. Um, you know, if anything, I can say for a fact that there weren't many challenges with that one. Um, uh, the Toronto District School Board actually um, worked with all stakeholders um, before they even took the uh, the opportunity to the market where Tridel had a chance to bid on it. Yeah, um, they they set the parameters for the height. The density, how the school was going to be uh, reconfigured and relating to the new towers, yeah. track and field reorientation, how are you going to preserve um, the, the heritage fabric of you know what was worthy of retention? Yeah. Uh, it was all wrapped up in a mem- memorandum of understanding where um, the local counselor, the school trustee, uh, all the alum, uh, the heritage uh, community, they all signed off on it. So, huh. so okay. they took they took that MOU and and brought it out to the market for yeah. whatever developer wanted to participate in the bidding process, and Tridel won. Yeah. Um, if anything, as they usually do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think I think it was just their reputation. I mean, also the I can't remember a number of people were also signing off on the developer partner. You know, yeah. they also want you know we might not have been the top bidder, but it was the most. You know, the bidder that people wanted, uh, you know, a developer with a proven track record um, to deliver on the the school as well. We were also building the school for for them. Um, If anything, uh, we ran into a little snag, you know, when we got to the city and we were filing our applications, our formal applications. And uh, funny enough, the planning department said, well, just because you got like, if anything, I think TDSB did. they, They didn't circle back with planning enough. In, in in the development of that MLU. Yeah. MLU. They're like, well, just because you have everyone else on site doesn't mean that we're necessarily... Oh, you know, city. Canalopity <laughs> again. Yeah, no, I, I mean, they quickly came around. If anything, yeah. you know, they had a, a number of good improvements on the urban design and a lot of the kind of the at-grade uh, architectural sort of treatments. Yeah. Um, so they did have, have a chance to influence, you know, what the ultimate outcome yeah. was. Um, but uh, it was great. It was challenging just because there was a lot of stakeholders that yeah. you just had to keep updated all the time. Yeah. Um, that, that's not I mean, we always need to update stakeholders, but there were just a number of them. Yeah. You know, we had monthly meetings with all of these people, with janitors, <laughs> with the librarians, <laughs> you know, like it, 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 it's if anything, that was outside of the norm. And if anything, the TDSB hired a great architect that, that they're used to doing this, that that level of consultation okay. with with stakeholders in a school yeah so, and yeah. how did you feel that the final product turned out oh right? i'm very proud of it yeah very very proud of it and it's a nicely integrated you know, yeah. development in, the stu- in that in that did you ever get any feedback from the students how they like the school or anything like that uh 
I didn't stick around enough. To hear that, but but, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, I only, you know, expect it was good. It was a high tech school. Yeah. If anything, that was a uh, high end, high end. You know, I think it was highly revered because they were able to build new high technology. Um, and it also catered to the arts, like the music program and the arts program, which is what North Toronto Collegiate was really recognized yeah. for in the, in the city of Toronto. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting because, uh, you know, there's been some controversy about like Dufferin and Bloor and that school being torn down and, and, you know, has some heritage, uh, um, oh. <laughs> uh, look to it. I don't know. I, not my taste, but I, I think yeah. I went to a school that was, you know, looked heritage and it, it was, it was, you know, built in the 1800s in, in Guelph and the oldest school. But I'd much rather have a brand new school with all the bells and whistles uh, yeah. to it than I would. To, wow, what a grand arch! Isn't this fantastic? <laughs> that I'm going to this school from the 1800s, right? Uh, like I would, lo- I would love to, to to go in something brand new and, and up to date. So, uh-huh. anyways, I, I won't wait into. I won't have you wait into other projects that are that are not your own. So, uh, <laughs> well, um, if anything, you 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 just reminded me there was a little uh, hiccup on heritage, and that was another thing too. Like the, the like the planning department says, oh, you signed off. Just because everyone else signed off doesn't mean that we're happy with it. Yeah. When we actually got to the Toronto uh, Preservation Board for approval, which is at the tail end of the process, yeah. all of a sudden this 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 body that's that's appointed to evaluate you know heritage demolitions, mm-hmm. they took a they took objection to the approach. They, okay. they actually and they were on the verge of actually saying, um, you know, we might need we might need to take a pause on this and rethink it. And we're, we had gone gone so far down a path on the on the development approvals. I'm yeah. talking about years that it would have set us back hugely. So they did ultimately approve approve it, but they they questioned how they would deal with other schools like the one that you're talking about. And it sounds like they still <laughs> the process still hasn't yeah, been improved yeah. to to their satisfaction. Yeah. But they said, hey, the, the the Toronto District School Board has a whole inventory of heritage properties that we need to figure out how to deal with them, you know, properly in a redevelopment scenario. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah. It just reminds me of, I was, I spent too much time on Twitter, but it, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into some of the changes that have been made or what, that have Twitter, recently, that? <laughs> recently announced, but some people are all just also about make such a deal about how much developers make and the profit that they make. And I just, I'm like, I wish you guys would listen to my podcast and all the things that you guys have to, to go through. And it's like, it makes me, it makes me get butterflies in my stomach just hearing about these stories. And it's not my money on the line. Uh-huh, I think, uh-huh. What if you put your business on the line? What if you you bought a fifty million dollar property? Uh-huh. You know, what if you signed a personal guarantee and then you're about to launch a project and then some gray haired dude, seventy five years old, is like, "Well, I don't think you should take the bricks down that way." You know, <laughs> it's just like you'd be like, "I want to strangle you." <laughs> yeah, and it's always just a handful of people, you know, and it's not. You know, the opinions of these people aren't necessarily. The broader opinion of the exactly. general community, exactly community. right. Yeah. And yeah. we we've discussed this on the podcast before, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's it's too much, <laughs> uh, too much. You know, you're giving too much voice to people who are just angry for the sake of angry, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. they just don't want change. Uh, they're not actually looking to to improve on the project, right? Agreed. So, uh, which is which is unfortunate. So, so we had. 
you know, Jeff Hall on the show. Yes. Uh, I have always been a huge fan of his. I've loved the work that Hall, Hall, Hallmark has done over the years. And I always tell, I tell Jeff and I tell Mazzy, you're both the, uh, the coolest developers <laughs> out there, right? I think the development industry would be so much better if there was more developers like, uh, like those two that actually spend so much time on the public realm and how that looks and how that feels and how that uh, interacts. And, uh, and uh, I think that's such a huge issue today. And we've, I, I think we've probably talked about it on 20 of the 40 podcasts. Yes. Developers spent more time on <laughs> how the project uh, high rise tower met the, met the grade and how that looked and how that felt. There'd be so much less problems with uh with the height of it right so so anyway so you know we were there for what a decade a decade almost to the day yeah so so you worked on some cool stuff some uh uh, some timber some retail some commercials some residential what are your what are your highlights from your time there um i'd say the entire time i mean it was it was a great 10 years i was higher number one um and i saw the growth wow i didn't know you were higher number one i was higher number one i actually met Jeff's grandfather and Jeff um, working on Hallmark Center when it was at Tridel. Yeah. Um, and we just stayed in touch, you know, and and when he worked on his new um, investment strategy for his family, uh, you know, was one of the first people I think he he reached out to to just talk about, hey, you know, there's an opportunity here. Are you interested? And yeah. and I just said, we had no clue what we were going to do, yeah. <laughs> what what asset class we were going to focus on, um, or even how the company was going to grow. But it was like, oh, it's a time in my life that I could do it. I was yeah. like, what the hey? I was a fan of Jeff. Even when I saw him early days at Hallmark, I mean, it was just he he understood the um, the business right out of the gate. Yeah. You know, uh, he was thrust in a crazy position. You know, after his grandfather fell ill. Um, uh, to manage Hallmark Center in partnership with Tridel, um, <laughs> like at the ripe ripe age of twenty six, um, but you know when we started talking about me joining the team, he was in around thirty, you know, and you know I was in my mid thirties, and I said, ah, oh, what the heck? Hey, this is great, you know. I liked what he stood for. Uh, he did say that you know he spoke immediately spoke about his passion for the city, and that, that you know that's where he wanted to focus most of um, the uh, our efforts in, and. Um, I said, "What the hey? You know, yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna <laughs> take a roll." I did, and um, and it was right away. We we were already chasing after some exciting um, investments. You know, six nineteen Queen uh, was one. Uh, Sixty and eighty Atlantic was another. We, we bought that off of Build Toronto. Um, okay, and, interesting. Uh, off the city of Toronto, in yeah. essence. Um, and uh, 100 Broadview was another one. So we ended up in this kind of sweet spot of, you know, where I think we were trying to chase after some residential opportunities in the beginning. We ended up in this little space of commercial acquisitions and uh, where we can reposition them and add value. Yeah. So um, we're, I was kind of out of my element, but we learned very, very quick. I think we, uh, you know, hired the right architects, hired the right advisors. Um, and, um, you know, we we're chasing after opportunities that were too big for the or too small for the likes of someone like Allied. You know, that's what they were doing 20 years ago. Yeah. But too big for, you know, the mom and pause of the world. You yeah. know, so we we found a little sweet spot to keep us busy for a bit. Um, but because we were so small, you know, it was doing anything and everything, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was working on 
on planning, on on uh, uh, repositionings of property, redevelopment concepts for these properties. You know, like, hey, we might buy this right now, keep it in place, uh, throw a little bit of capex work into it, and then ten years, fifteen years, twenty years down the road, we may redevelop. You know, so we're yeah. you know looking at forecasting. What what do you think we can do that? You know, it's there. Yeah. So. Very, very dynamic way of looking at real estate. I think traditionally most real estate developers are stick to what they're good at, but mm -hmm. we're kind of looking at multiple angles, you know? So that was really new, uh, new to me, exciting to me and, and, and refreshing. Um, I was also uh, the only development expert and construction expert I don't even call myself an expert, but construction person in the company for easily six or seven years until we started growing a team. You wow. know, like so, I learned probably a little bit more about construction than I'd like to, <laughs> but enough. You know, enough now that I have like a very well-rounded experience of, yeah. of that side of the business. Interesting. And it's, I mean, if anything you've heard out there right now, it's like construction is our biggest risk yeah. all across the board, yeah. and managing that is was was wild. But um, I'd say. Um, 60 to 80 Atlantic or 60 and 80 Atlantic were, you know, my most proud. Yeah, you know, I'm so proud of those projects. Stunning. They were stunningly yeah. beautiful. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I feel bad that I haven't gone on any of these to these ULI or build tours in so long. One, because of COVID and two, because, you know, you're so busy yeah. and uh, and the market had been so strong that before you'd, you'd go on these tours and they'd show you the unsold units. And now, <laughs> you know, for the longest time, 99% yeah. of all condos being completed in Toronto were sold already, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. So it's a little bit of a, a different world. I have to get back out there and and uh, and do the, do a little bit more of the, the networking thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, but thank you to the thousands of people that download the Toronto Under Construction podcast <laughs> uh, every two weeks or every month. So. Um, so yeah, so let's 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 get into the 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 this 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 company. So I know Dorsey is a little uh, on the back end of uh, of things that people a lot of people may not know uh, what they do and and uh, and what they have going. So give us the give us the the, the pitch. What's the elevator pitch for the company and, the and what are you doing there now? Yeah. Okay, so uh, Dorsey's been around for call it twenty five years. I think we're coming upon our twenty five year anniversary. Traditional land investment and developer, you know, uh, that's truly what they've been working on over the past 25 years. Either they buy it, entitle it, sell it off, or vend it into partnerships. Mostly has been tried all over the years. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Dorsey so I see, and I, see how I all know there's a trend, right? I see all yeah. these connections. Uh. <laughs> uh, so there's, um, and funny enough, I never worked on a Dorsey trial oh, partnership. Okay. I just wow. knew them. I just, okay. I just knew the players there. I knew Jeff Greyhurst. I knew uh, Edmund Chow, who's the CFO there. Um, they'd always come into the, you know, the trial offices, and I met them or golf tournaments or yeah. you know this and that. Um, but uh, they. Or they bring so Tridel and uh, Dorsey have built six thousand, seven thousand units over over the years. Funny enough, in in King Spadina, Icon Condos was one of them. Okay. <laughs> so you know, coming out of the recession, or I think it was, the, I think they finished them in two thousand. Icon, know, so wow. Icon yeah. Condos, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's there's plenty of you know examples, mostly in North York, a lot of North York yeah. um, developments, um, or or into uh, partnerships with Heathwood. Um, so I think over the years they've been trying to talk about building a full execution arm, you know, take it, taking it from start to finish acquisition to project completion. Um, just trying to, you know, rationalize it, uh, and, and build the right team. So if anything, I, I know that Jeff Greyhurst has been cooking up the idea for a while now. Um, but, uh, I think, uh, you know, the, 
they found me and and uh, here I am. You know, I, I'm actually uh, was brought on board to build that execution arm, okay. kind of similar to. You know, I wouldn't say similar to Hallmark, but similar to Hallmark, you know, what happened. And uh, and uh, so that we can actually buy the site, entitle it, bring it through a sales and marketing program. Uh, I don't think we're going to self-perform in construction, but uh, definitely hire a third-party construction manager to, to complete it. So we did a podcast probably a, a month or so ago, and I did my Hugh Heron impression. <laughs> 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 and then when I listened back to it, Nikki cut it out. Oh, no. <laughs> no. So was it that was, bad? <laughs> I guess it was. I yeah. was home at last. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you partner with him anymore, but I, I still hear his com- commercials yeah. on the radio. Yeah, and, uh, there's still future opportunities. So just to complete, we have um, 1,400 acres in the pipeline. Wow. Uh, a thousand of which is in Northeast Pickering, um, which should be coming into the urban boundary pretty shortly. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I was, you know, talk about that one right now because that's like ridiculous. I was looking at the videos, oh, okay. 900 acres. You yeah. got, you got to tell us hundred thousand people <laughs> were well, like, that's, you could have a football team. Yeah. Uh, well, actually <laughs> it's the Varane community. Uh, it's branded as Varane and it's actually 4,000 acres. We own a thousand of it. Wow. So, so okay. um, gotcha. you know, there's other big players out there. Like yeah. I think Fieldgate tribute, um, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a whole land owners group getting formed right now, and and I think uh, everyone should be ramp- or the city of Pickering should be ramping up, hopefully in the new year, to to run a secondary or consultation for sec- secondary pro- plan process. So this is pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm personally uh, not working on it. We have oh, Amanda okay. Santo uh, who came from uh, ten years at Waterfront Toronto uh, working on that. She's been at okay. Dorsey for about four years. Um, she's heading it up with with Jeff Grayhurst, and you know they've been working on it for wow. years and, and gra- grinding gonna, it out. And for so years. it's going to yeah. have all asset classes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. its own man made lake. <laughs> Hopefully not. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we all know natural heritage features, you know. I think we have our, our share of natural heritage features on, on the okay, property. Already on the site. Oh, it's okay. already on the site. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. So, and uh, 200 acres in, in Barrie, uh, call it 20 acres in what's called Rangeview, which is just north of Lakeview. So, an, again, another master plan community that um, we're just about to submit to the city of uh, Mississauga. And then we have um, a parcel call it five acres of land in Markham city center that we're, we're undergoing a, wow, wow. a rezoning to convert it from office to residential. Okay. So yeah, we have our hands full, wow. you know, but we are hoping to acquire at least a couple sites over the past year, uh, to get this execution arm running so we can get the, the systems in place, the people in place, the, the, the resources. So making way for execution on what we have in the pipeline. Yeah. So yeah. that's the strategy. Wow. But, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I guess let's let's maybe just jump into the, the current market because yes. uh, obviously a lot of things are happening. The uh, the latest Altus data came out and there was less than three hundred new condo sales in uh, September of twenty twenty two. You know, it looks like this slump could be a long one. Just you know, your mm-hmm. your thoughts. So are you are you bullish? Are you bearish? Are you uh, you know, uh, um, you know saving up the, the saving up for a rainy day? You know, not taking that vacation. What's going on? <laughs> Personally, or from the company's perspective? <laughs> uh, oh no, I saw I saw the numbers. It's ten percent from what it was last year at this time, which yeah. is just wild, you yeah. know. So what the government, you know, wanted to do is actually happening. You know, it's they wanted to slow down the business, our industry, and that's exactly what happened. I I, I don't know. I'm a little more optimistic, you know. 
cautious, cautiously optimistic. I, I think interest rates still aren't crazy. They, I mean, they're much higher than what we've been used to. We had free money before, but mm-hmm. um, essentially, I'm hoping once they stabilize, you know, it's stabilized, there's confidence, consumer confidence that come, comes back into the market. Yeah. Um, you know, I think hard costs, you know, we're not going to see the same escalations like we did last year. I think it was like 22%. Um, and, you know, I've been told, you know, experts in the industry like the Altists of the world, the Finnegan Marshalls of the world are estimating this year will be closer to 10. I'm talking to a few people in the industry, like our construction management partners. They're validating the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the trades or some of the trades are tempering a bit. You know, it's not as frenzied as it, yeah. as it used to be. Like it is, I wouldn't say it's slowed down. I mean, their their pipeline is is years out from now, like mm-hmm. construction. Um, but at the same time, I think they're they're monitoring what's happening out there in the marketplace as well. You yeah. know, and and to, to forecast, you know, conducting their own forecasts. Um, hopefully, next year we're looking at hard cost escalations a lot. Yeah, uh, that are a lot more balanced. Um, I think what what the province just rolled out a couple of days ago, you know, is going to help a bit. Like the the government fees and you know development charges, parkland charges, it was a huge hit to the industry. Yeah, it was a huge hit. Um, inclusionary zoning, you know, you you name it. And what the province rolled out, um, I I'm still ju- digesting. The industry still digesting. I think every law firm, municipal law firm in the city is has a whole team looking at it, digesting it. Um, and I think you know just back of envelope right now a number of those initiatives that just introduced um i mean it's still not finally approved but you know will help yeah, yeah. It, it, it i mean I, I'm, I'm looking at some of the things and and trying to you know i'm not a planner obviously so so some of this stuff is totally over my head but yeah. i look at you know i uh, do a lot of rental studies and and i think i've mentioned several times that Oh, I've been doing rental studies one, two, three a month for several years, and only a couple of these projects are under construction. Yes, so, yes. so it's nice to see that there is some rollback of development charges there and some taking out of the inclusionary zoning mm-hmm. and uh, to, to make these things viable and, and, and get them going. What, a, what other highlights? So you, you said Parkland dedication you think is going to be a big thing, especially in the suburban municipalities. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what else are you seeing in there that... Uh, that uh, caught your eye it was mostly developed in the suburban yes definitely the uh the parks charges uh the development charge sort of relief a bit is yeah. going to help yeah. you know it's it's i mean they're not rolling them back completely for market housing i mean for affordable housing yes it's it's or rental you know yeah. i think what's proposed is is uh, more favorable to, to to those types of housing 10 years but um i i'm trying to think too i think also more of the streamlining you know efforts as well that that will help the industry. I mean, you know, time is money, yeah. <laughs> and uh, if anything, uh, the protracted timelines and the, that we've all been experiencing over the years is just killing returns. You know, on any uh, any project pro yeah. forma, um, especially in this higher interest rate you know yeah. regime that we're in. You know, we just need yeah. to tighten up everything. Yeah. And you, there know, was, yeah. you know, a lot of. You know, I think we talked. We've talked about this podcast tons of times. Tons of times. But developers yeah. used to buy sites, and yeah. and it'd be they would put in eighteen months. Uh-huh. 
from acquisition, yes. closing to approvals, right? I, I, I'm old enough that I could actually say that I've seen through rezonings in six to six to eight months. Yeah. You know, like I, I remember the good old days, and it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that long ago. Um, and now but, this project's taking three yeah. and four years to to get done. I mean, some of that probably is the developer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just shocking at how long these are taking. And now, obviously, the not tearing on, but the new uh, body, and I, I always forget the name of it, uh, is cracking down on HRCA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is cracking down on projects uh -huh. launching before yeah. approvals are in place. Yes. Especially for um, you know uh, newer developers, so there isn't even that additional time mm -hmm. to, to be gained, right? So yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's an intro, it's, it's it's hard for I mean again like I'm not a planner so and I'm not a developer so it's always hard to to look at these 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 items and and, and really understand the yeah. value uh, that they could bring to to someone like you and, mm -hmm. and 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 how that can help but I just hate I hate the the feedback from from uh, people who are not in the business mm -hmm. that they don't think it's going to help. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, that's not that's only going to save a developer money. I was like, well, if the developer saves money, then they can go out and buy two sites <laughs> the next time and yeah. do two projects yes. and increase supply, right? And uh, and do bigger projects, uh -huh. right? Yeah. I mean, any small developer who's tried to you know bring their first project at fifty stories finds it's not so easy to to get financing <laughs> for something like that. You know, you can't yeah. use your grandmother's cottage as collateral yeah. for the construction yeah. loan. So uh, um, we need developers to be successful, and, and and we need to bring down costs. And this is the one that always gets me: is people don't understand you bring down the cost, you make more sites viable. Mm -hmm. It's less about that downtown young project that's already pencils. It's let's get some sites in Scarborough. Mm -hmm. Let's get some sites in North Etobicoke. Let's get some sites in, uh, in, uh, in, in Malvern and in these different, different areas of the city that, that could, that, that need new mm -hmm. supply, but don't have it because the numbers don't work. Right. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I think a lot of, or the general public doesn't understand that we're all, you know, most developers are, are it's not a one-off project. Yeah. It's a business that they need to sustain. Yeah. You know, they also have staff that they need to pay, you know, and it's also about, you know, creating that, that, that pot to move on to the next project yeah. and then on the next and the next. Yeah. And we also get taxed <laughs> you know, on all of those profits. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if anything, I'm, I'm optimistic. I mean, the fundamentals are still there. I'm, I'm just hoping stabilization and costs and where we, where revenues are going are really going to be the sure tail sign of, how we're going to do coming out of this. Yeah. Um, you know, the lenders are part of this as well, you know, just in their comfort level on, on providing lending, lending on, on a number of these projects. And yeah. especially, you know, we're hearing that it's, um, you know, they're, they're catering to, again, just the people with the proven track record, yeah. you know, that they know that can weather the storm. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of this, what's happening, turbulent times in the market is just going to cut out those, those um, smaller players that are trying to get in again, you know, yeah, and yeah. I, I still remember going to a build event and it was probably February of 2009. And uh, there was <laughs> developers that I thought were, you know, the, 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 the king shit. They're putting their hands up in these build events saying, I can't get construction financing. Mm -hmm. I'm 90% sold on my project and they tell me I need to be 97% <laughs> sold or they're going to give me any money. Right. And I was just like, you know, blown away. Uh -huh. Right. I think, 
I think people that are naive in the industry think you see a building completed, that developer probably made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. In some instances, that developer made nothing. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> they, 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 you know, their equity partner made something, the bank made something, and, and uh, you know, they collected some fees. Might have earned some fees, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but, yeah. you know, that's, that's something that people just don't understand. They see someone driving a BMW down the street mm-hmm. and assume that, you know, every developer is successful. And I'm like, I know a guy that had an M3 BMW and he lived with his parents, lived in his parents' basement, oh, right? So, so, so cars <laughs> are not sense. always a good indicator of how successful yeah, still somebody living is. at home with mom. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> All right. All not right. going to say else? who. <laughs> yeah, well, you want to name names? No. <laughs> so let's, I know you guys have a, you know, obviously you have a, a commercial portfolio mm-hmm. and we talked a little bit about this and, and it's how is hybrid work impacting the portfolio, your portfolio? Well, from what we hear, I mean, I haven't really looked at the numbers over the past month, um, but suburban office was actually faring a little bit better than the downtown office okay. market. But last September and October, we were insane down, or I wouldn't say insane, but huge shift, uh, you know, in the in the downtown core. Yeah. You know, I've been going back, you know, I'm back, I've been back to the office. So where's your office? Then? It's at Adelaide, New York. So oh, okay. right, right in the thick of it. Oh, wow. Okay. But so you're right downtown. It's, it's jam packed on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's it. Monday, Friday <laughs> is still a ghost town. Yeah. And, um, and they just <laughs> rolled out all, all of the Adelaide street closures. So okay. if anything, the Ontario line, um, uh, the Ontario line work is going to kill any chance of the downtown core uh, coming out of this, yeah. you know. But um, you know, most of our, our our office portfolio is in the suburbs. Um, it was doing a little bit better. I'm still, I mean, it's still not optimum. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really how I could comment on it. Yeah. And and I think a lot of the 905 office um, market caters to you know, engineering, accounting offices, you know, it's stuff that are, can be done at home. Yeah. Stuff yeah. that can be done at home. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a believer in hybrid and or work, you know, work from home, Yeah, but it is what it is. Yeah. You know? I don't like to work from home. Yeah. I like to be in an office and, uh, and separate my home life is my home life. My, mm-hmm. my work life is my work life. Right. Agreed. So, um, that's interesting. And I know there's a lot of talk of converting, you know, offices to, to residential, mm-hmm. but I know that has a lot of, uh, a, a lot of challenges. Is, is that even entered the, the Dorsey lexicon? Our, our portfolio is just doesn't have the floor plate for it. Yeah. I, I mean, you'd have to almost, um, discount the value of that, that building to nothing in order to uh, account for all the construction costs and the soft costs that you need to sink into a project to deliver it as a residential. Yeah. Like these are, these are older buildings. They've been built for commercial standards, you know, in order to deliver on residential, it's a completely different code. Um, the floor plates don't lend itself to it. You might have to cut a core like through the center of these monster 40,000 square foot floor plates, you know, (laughs) in order to make, I don't even know if that would work. It's not feasible for our portfolio. Um, and I even think a lot of the stock downtown, it's, I mean, it's a great notion. It's a great sort of idea to, you know, use what's otherwise not used space, yeah. uh, but I just, the te- from the technical point, like it's, it's not as easy as yeah. it seems. Yeah. 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 I've, I, I've gone into a couple, um, 
like warehouse conversions. Mm -hmm. And because of just how big some of the floor plates were, the units were just massive because, you know, they were just super long just to get to, uh, you know, the elevators, right? So they were like uh, 2,600 square feet and they were skinny, well, skinny you units, the right? The merchandise so, building lofts, right? Like yeah. that was one of them. They had to do all these gymnastics in order to make that building work, right? Yeah. Way back in the day. Yeah. But that's that's just case in point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to see, see how that might... Uh, might work out. Um, so let's get into your your advocacy work. I know that you've uh, served, build, uh, and you've been a Toronto chapter uh, ch uh, uh, chair before. What? Um, you know, just maybe talk about some of your work that you've done there, and uh, and and how that that side of your your career has gone. Um, well, you know, in early days, it was almost thrust upon me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, you're getting involved in build and, and you're going to stay on top of issues. If anything, um, you know, the companies that I work for before, you know, it started at Rockport yeah. and at Daniels. And then it was just a no brainer even to try it out. It's like it, all of those companies are entrenched in advocacy work. They, yeah. You know, they see the value behind it. And um, if anything, I, I've stepped away from from build for the last two or three years. Um I do feel disconnected, yeah. you know, if, you know, when you're not entrenched in it, there's sometimes you hear about what's happening, policy shifts out there, or, you know, political shift out there. I almost feel like I'm the last to know, you know, yeah. whereas before, you know, when I was involved at Build, it was just, you were at the forefront of getting any news, you know, and, yeah. and any chance to, to, to influence change. So, um, if anything, right out of the gate, you know, in my career, it was, it was, um, it, it it was reinforced as, you know, it's part of the job. This is what you need to do. It's, it's a networking opportunity. It's a chance to also grow, like just bigger picture thinking as opposed to just being in the weeds on your projects. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I saw the value right out of the gate. Um, so I'd say it was when I was a Tridel. It's pretty well voluntold. I was going to be the Toronto chapter chair, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and uh, actually I, I did it alongside with Steve DeVoe for for four years. Yeah. So we were a good tag tag team. It was fun. Yeah, you so know, he was super, super smart. Yeah. I, anytime I've heard him speak, I'm just like, this guy knows everything. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. And um, if you know, we ha we both had strengths and, you know, different things. And um, and if but at the same time, it was a very, very time intensive position yeah. um and uh, there was a lot of new policy rolling out of the city of toronto at the time yeah and uh you know when he couldn't attend meetings i could or you know we'd we'd actually you know assume one responsibility to take the other just it because it was just a lot of a lot yeah. of work on yeah. top of your full-time job yeah, of course. <laughs> so uh, you know I, we had fun um if anything uh you know i i believe that the industry needs to be there you know working alongside with, with the city of toronto developing a relationship you know it's, and we i i hope to think that we were we were seen by the city of Toronto as trusted industry representat yeah. representatives as well, yeah. uh, you know, with a balanced approach to, you know, influencing change um, and influencing change in policy that was rolling out that was yeah. going to impact it, our business. Is there any, any one change, any, anything that sticks out as a big win for you that you're like, saw it come through on your computer and you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, 
the green roof bylaw was one of them. Okay. You know, if anything, uh, what we originally saw uh, was drastically different than than um, uh, what eventually got rolled out. Uh, the industry was taking huge objection to yeah. to it at the time. I, I, I just, you know, a lot of times the, the industry throws up their hand and says, oh, they just don't understand, you yeah. know, what, what it could mean. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, we can't do this, we can't do that, but... You know, we, we, we talked through the issue with the city of Toronto and there's, I, I think we gave them a number of sort of tangible real life examples to kind of talk them off of certain positions. Um, but in the end, we still ended up with a green roof bylaw that I, I hope is workable. You know, yeah. yeah, there was only one time that it wasn't workable for me. And it was actually funny enough on the, the heavy timber building at 80 Atlantic. Yeah. It, it, you're not allowed combustible um, materials, which a green roof is on a heavy timber building on the okay. roof. So we had to get some type of alternative solution under, under the code. But, um, if anything, uh, proud of that one. Um, the harmonized bylaw that like, remember when the, the city of Toronto was harmonizing their, their zoning bylaws from okay. all over. Yeah, yeah. From end to end. We warned of transition provisions. You know, we had a number of municipal lawyers helping us out with yeah. this one too. Warned of the transition uh, that was being rolled out. Uh, didn't listen. They rolled it out as, as six months later. They ended up incorporating, you know, a proper transition. Yeah. It was very technical. Very, yeah. very, very technical stuff. But, um, you know, I remember it vividly. Because <laughs> one of my projects, funny enough, ended up caught up in this this weird technical transition thing. and and the building department caught it when I needed a permit and I called uh, the chair of um, or sorry the the chief planner at the time which was Gary Wright I said Gary remember I told you about this transition problem <laughs> guess what yeah. <laughs> I've got this but yeah I need to pull a permit on this project and I need it tomorrow and I'm caught up you oh, know so yeah so but if anything he, you know he he owned up to it we got you covered. We're going to take care of you, you know, and, 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 uh, so th there were a few of those. And then there's a few that, you know, we were there trying to advocate and just didn't listen. So, um, yeah. but that's okay. That's yeah, part kinda, of it. It's kind of interesting. The, the, this amalgamated city and how there's so different political views and so different development views in these, these different areas. And, and even when I, when I send out a report publicly and I'll speak about Scarborough or East York, uh -huh. people get really angry about that for some reason. If I refer to it as the city of Scarborough, people get really like, that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> doesn't he know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I know. I'm still aware. Has an identity. I'm aware. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. still, it doesn't, yeah. but if I write former city, then you should figure it out. Uh -huh. Anyways, it's, it's strange the type of things that people get angry mm -hmm. angry about online so <laughs> yeah. well you have um you know got this big site in barry there's always a lot of talk and there's even more talk about now because you know for talking about conservation areas and stuff people just absolutely lose their shit if you talk about greenfield development mm -hmm. and i know you've been involved in it uh, a lot of uh, greenville uh development and uh you know do you think the world word sprawl is overused and, and, and how do you kind of, you know, being a down, being of someone that lives in the city of Toronto, how do you kind of, uh, balance your views on, on environmentalism, providing housing supply, you know, all, all these things that, that, that are controversial topics. You know, it's it's funny. I, like you said, I am getting used to this greenfield <laughs> world, and yeah. and but each of these municipalities that you know what some people might consider sprawl are are cities in their own right. Yeah. You know, and and what's so funny is early days at Hallmark. Um, 
you know, Jeff is very, very passionate about the city and he's, you know, fundamentally has fundamental problems himself with, you know, with uh, sprawl. And I, you know, we'd end up in these debates and, and I just said, Jeff, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you know, there's archived photos of Young and Eglinton or Avenue and Eglinton. And have you ever seen it? Like they look like yeah, they look a like suburb a, of yeah. today. <laughs> like, and, and there's evolution to cities, you know? So uh, I wouldn't really call it sprawl. I, as long as each municipality is, is, is growing in a certain way that provides a whole range and host of housing and they're doing it responsibly, you know, I, and not the entire community or, or, or municipality is is a single detached home. Yeah, I, you know, as long as the, that housing choice and right mix of uses are, are being planned for and, yeah. and actually built up, I think I think that's responsible. What where we're failing is just connecting communities. It's more on the transportation and transit, you know, yeah. front. I think yeah. more than anything. Um, so that's, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, I wish that we could build better suburbs, yeah. right? Suburbs that we can see evolving better, mm -hmm. right? As opposed yeah. to just being this place where people drive to and they, and they live and they move away and it's all owners and it's mm -hmm. all, you know, um, um, a certain type. I, I would love to see more you know, three story single detached and, mm -hmm. and with townhomes and a small apartment building and a certain amount of those homes have to be rear lane with a, with a granny suite. So we can, we just get a little bit more we don't dynamicism. Have the range. Yeah. Right? We don't, we're not providing the range. You know, I, I, I go to Edmonton and I see greenfield developments with apartment buildings and stuff. And I'm like, how can Edmonton make this work mm -hmm. yet? We can't. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of, uh, you know, I'm like, it makes no sense that mm -hmm. they're because because there's young people who live in Barrie that want to live close to their parents. Right. And they can't afford a single detached house. Right. There should there should be a market for an apartment there. But I think the transportation piece is probably the big piece. Right. Yeah. You would still have to get in your car and drive wherever you go because there's no transport system uh, and uh, and yeah and then once you start going two stories under yeah. underground in a suburban apartment then costs and <laughs> whatever right and I think so. our construction um, industry is not equipped you know we don't have the construction industry to support that in between either you have yeah. low rise you know which is just true suburban or you have high rise and nothing in between if anything yeah. working on multiple mid rises yeah um you know or god forbid a triplex like who who would build a triplex i don't know we <laughs> yeah. already had a hard enough time you know securing trades to actually build, build a mid rise and that's why mid rise is so tough to get off the ground it's the hard car costs are just you know this yeah. so so dis disproportionately high right yeah. and if anything i think that's what the, ch the fundamental challenge is too we need to build a construction um, sector that can provide a whole range of construction typologies as opposed to just one versus the other, yeah. you know, and I totally agree with you. I'm a city person. I, you know, I live in the city, you know, I've seen the city evolve and if anything, you know, I, and I also see how, you know, the city of Pickering is growing. Either they have, you know, they're moving in the same direction as I think the city of Toronto with your, their yellow belt, you know, it's either, Stable residential, or it's fifty story or thirty story towers. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's fifty story but, towers now around yeah, the, yeah. the Pickering Go, right? So, agreed. Yeah. I mean, they're doing the right thing. They're intensifying as as a municipality in the GTA should do. 
but where's the range, yeah. you know, and yeah. the in-between, you know, the, the stuff, the fine grain, yeah. that, that yeah. funky kind of infill you know, development no, that we the, need to see. When we just had a, a mayor's election and obviously no surprise that, that, that Tory won, but uh, the, the, the Gil Penalosa, he was very big on, on mid-rise, but, I, and, and he, but he only wanted mid-rise, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't yes. want high-rise and he doesn't understand how difficult it is, right, with, with angular planes and every single floor is a, is a, is a different floor plate. And and you know less efficient buildings, and then the land cost per buildable square foot mm-hmm. is actually significantly higher yeah. than a downtown site, right? Mm-hmm. And people don't understand that too. It's just so it's so difficult. It's and, and, and we're getting to the point now where sites that are off downtown mid rise are almost the same price is a downtown high rise on the subway. That's, you know, developers have finally said, okay, people really want this, but the only way for me to make money is to charge this super high price and, and sell it as this affluent boutique development, even though it might have 150 <laughs> units in it. It's not exactly completely boutique, right? Uh-huh. But uh, interesting how the how the market has, has moved, right? And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And so it's always these uh, these different uh, difficult ep- economic questions to, to to try to tackle. But uh, well, we want to get into. We've had uh, <laughs> I've had a few complaints online about my lack of female guests on the show. Oh. Them not, not knowing that. <laughs> okay, that's why I'm here. <laughs> the last five. <laughs> Five female guests we had all canceled. Oh, so I don't know if gosh. that's because of because of me or because of Steve. Uh, probably because of Steve, but you know, you know how it is. This, this is scheduling issues. So, but it is interesting that you know we're in such a you know a male dominated uh, industry. Um, you know, why, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think there's hardly any? female developers. There's there's lots of females that work for development companies now. I see a lot more than when I started, but very few an actual female starting as their own development company. Oh, even starting the development company. Oh. <laughs> well, I can just tell you, you know, just even speaking as a a woman in the industry, you know, it's it's um it's very high paced, very high pressure. Um, you know, a lot of the people that you report to, you know, almost um it's it's like this high pace, high pressure it, bros club, you know, and I'm just going to call it out there. You know how I how I I was fortunate in my early days or no, not even early days, but I'd say most of my career, you know, uh, I had I had champions, yeah. you know, who uh, were owners or led led uh, development companies that actually um you know, championed me, you know, I wouldn't even say mentored, like they were actually those people to say, Leona, you need to get out, out there. You need to do this. You know, uh, it, it allowed me to actually find a voice, yeah. you know, I'd say it, it doesn't matter even if you're a woman or a man entering into the industry, a lot of, you know, it's hard to find a voice yeah. now, like you're, you're there just to get your, put your nose to the ground and just do your work and get it done. Um, but then there comes a time and point where, you know, whoever you're reporting to, they actually want to hear your opinion. They want to hear you speak. They yeah. want to hear you report on things, you know, and I actually had uh, wonderful, wonderful champions and mentors in that respect. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think every company is built that way. You know, I'd say actually the majority of development companies are not built that way. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a sink or swim 
mentality, and that's all across the board. You know, there's uh, a lack of, of, of support structure. And then I'm just going to call it out. I mean, at some point, you know, most women in the industry want to get married, they want to have children, and then there's just no support in that that respect. Yeah. Um, a lot of people that I, a lot of women that I saw leaving the industry earlier in their careers, is it, they never came back after having kids. Huh. So that's, that's really about it. Yeah. You know, I think it also much dependent on, you know, does their partner, you know, earn enough to keep, you know, the, the family and then they can come back to the industry whenever they want and they end up with a more flexible um, uh, work arrangement. Yeah. So if anything, uh, fundamentally, that's where the, the industry is lacking. It's that, that um, appreciation that women do contribute something to this industry in a large way. If anything, that's, um, <laughs> I, I got tons of compliments early on in my career. It's like, okay, they felt that, that women doing what I did in development management um, were just really good multitaskers. Yeah. And we also know how to um, people manage better. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not the whole my way or the highway, you know, or a little more balanced and kind of like figuring out a balance between everyone's interests, you yeah. know, that, that fares very well with, um, working with, uh, government, uh, working with the general public, uh, working with your consultants, yeah. you know, a lot of it, it's not, so it's a more, um, but at the same time while project managing. Right? Yeah. So if anything, people, companies see the value of women in the industry, but at the same time are not supporting them throughout, you know, the, the family formation, you know, years, yeah. they, how are you going to support them coming out of, you know, yeah. having kids? So it, it's, we have a problem. Yeah. We have a big problem. Yeah. And, um, but at the same time, uh, a lot of women are afraid to actually get involved. Like they're just either, they, they, they go to work, they go home, they raise, like a lot of, elevation of women in the industry will come from that networking, uh, coming and speaking on your podcast, <laughs> you know, agreeing to speak on panels. Yeah. Like actually I've been, um, I think even real pack talks about the challenge that they have trying to get women to speak on panels. Yeah. I said, I never say no. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's coming to this point where I, I, I was like, I need to stop I need to start saying no at some point, but <laughs> yeah. they says, no, but we need you to, you know, yeah. we need representation. I just said, yeah. I, there's gotta be other representation. You yeah. know, people are going to get sick of talking, you know, hearing from Leona, you yeah. know? So uh, if anything, that's what I'm trying to do, you know, and everyone in this industry should be doing is, is propping up the young, um, young people in the industry a lot better than we have in the past, yeah. encouraging them to stay, mentoring them through the tough parts. You know, it's like, look, you know, it's a cutthroat industry, but this is how you can navigate it is giving them the tools to actually navigate this very difficult industry and you know, so that they, they have staying power. Yeah. yeah. Like so, when so, we, we started this podcast, I said, I don't just want to interview presidents and, and I, I want to actually get some people that are like on year three yes. of their job, right. Yeah. And, and get, you know, a, a feel for how they're starting out in the industry. And, and, uh, and yeah, we're obviously trying to make a, make an effort to have as many as wide voices from, you know, diversity, but also to type of, you know, from a guy that does three projects, mm -hmm. three projects that are 60 total units, right. Yeah. Up to, you know, the, the capital developments and the Tridells and, the, and, and the Mankeys of the world, right. Yeah. To get, to, 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 to cover that. Well, we say we're a podcast, about everything in Toronto yeah. real estate, so we're trying to do it, but uh -huh. it is, it's difficult. It's difficult to, uh, you know, even sometimes even bring up the topic, right. Oh, because, yeah, yeah. because 
sometimes you just get jumped. Like people jumped down my throat because I was attending an event that had five white guys as oh, the speakers. Oh, come on. And yeah. I was like, I, I, I just signed up. Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't. I, I try not to have a Rolodex where I check boxes of what the person is <laughs> so I can filter it down to make sure yeah, it's, that's it's, it's that. Right. Yeah, yeah, so, it, it's, it, uh, so but actually, let's, let, that's a good topic because you you are involved in a in um, a creed. So tell us a little about about what what creed is. Yeah, it's it's you know it's really hasn't found its grounding yet. But if anything, um, foundationally, you know, it was a group of of, of fifty uh, leaders in commercial real estate that were pulled together from um, Chandran Fernando. Do you know Chandran? No. Yeah, he just curated um, this this group and a grouping of of leaders in commercial real estate uh, to discuss you know, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the commercial real estate space. Okay. Like, and it's funny, you know, I've worked with family owned companies for uh, most of my career and, you know, the, the, there's, and then there's the commercial real estate, but it's a completely different world from, yeah. from my perspective. I mean, if you want to think the industry as a whole is a bros club, this is bros club <laughs> to the nth degree. Um, so if anything, uh, you know, he curated this grouping of, of, of leaders and a whole series sessions, 13 sessions of unpacking uh, the topic of equity, diversity, and inclusion in, in, in the workplace. I'd say 85% every session, people came back and it was all voluntary. You know, it was all like it just discussions, talking about some very uncomfortable topics yeah. in the workplace. It was even as simple as, you know, do you feel, have you, do you ever feel like you've been excluded, you know, from things? And, you know, there were a number of people, oh, no, I haven't felt excluded. I'm like, oh, I have, you yeah. know, I was, and I gave examples of it. Like, yeah. People were mortified to even hear me talking about my experience. But I think until people start, talking about their experiences, we're not going to get anywhere, you yeah. know? And, um, but at the same time, you know, uh, it was a lot of learning from each other in these sessions and everyone came out, you know, just saying, I learned something and this is why I was here every 13, you know, it was over 13 months, 13 sessions, wow. two hours commitment. It, it, huh. it was, it was a really great experience. So we're kind of pulling out the findings of, of, yeah, of that work and try to build a programs into commercial real like into the commercial real estate to give back, you know, maybe some, um, uh, mentorship programs, you know, with youth, uh, alliances with schools, you know, where, where can we actually start improving on this? And I think yeah. it starts in the schools. I've always been talking about that. Like the schools never talk about opportunities in real estate. You know, I don't know about you yeah. in high school, like you never knew that these, no. you know, what you do no. and what I do is even an opportunity, you no. know? And and I think that's where we get to uh, the more diverse groups of people is in through the school system. Like this is an awesome job opportunity. And then how do we support these diverse groups? through their careers in yeah. real estate to make sure that they stay like our problem with women in the industry. <laughs> so um, we're still kind of developing programming around that. I mean, the pandemic threw a wrench um, into things, you know, yeah. we really wanted to roll it out in a proper way. And then we were stalled and, and then, you know, we were trying to just take on too much, you know, like, so we've kind of developed this approach. Um, let's just walk before we run here and just kind of roll out a program, you know, appropriately. Nice. But I'd say out of the 50 people, there's still like 15 of them really engaged and just waiting to let's just do this right. That's good. So, um, but learned a lot. And uh, my acumen around that, the uh, equity, diversity, diversity and inclusion topic in the workplace, it's, it's 
I mean, it's by no means perfect, but it's definitely a huge improvement than, you know, than I had walking in yeah. to the whole process. It's, it's it's interesting. I uh you know I saw you at that recent trail event and uh and uh I was just shocked at some of the stories that I was I was hearing from yeah. uh What's her McKenna? What's her first name? Oh, Jamie McKenna. Jamie McKenna. Yeah. yeah. And how she's waiting on the airport, and one of the other guys is like, "Oh, so who's watching your kids?" And I was just like, "Oh my god!" It, it happens. Oh my god! How? Oh, yeah. How? I and, am. And the note taking, yeah. like the note taking. There came oh. a time and point. I'm like, I'm not taking any more notes. You know, like this yeah. is, just she, doesn't yeah. make sense. Just those small things. I, you know, I, I we live in a world where I'm just so scared of being canceled. <laughs> You know, so scared of saying the wrong thing. So, so I, you know, being on Twitter, having a podcast, I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to say the wrong thing one day. But uh, it's uh, it's difficult. It's, it's hard. Like Cancel even, culture has got to go. Yeah, if anything, I, approach it with kindness. Like we're all humans here trying to improve. That's that's like all that even matters. When I, uh, you know, I had female bosses. Uh, you know, you know, obviously Jane was my Jane Renwick was my boss, and uh, and I was getting married, and she came in for a hug, and I was like, ah. I don't know if I should hug my boss. <laughs> right? I was just like, yeah. uh, we're at, it was at that point in my life, right? Where yeah, yeah, you yeah. just don't want to do anything that's, uh, that's uh, you know, can get you canceled in the world, right? So, oh, but, Ben, uh, you'll never get canceled. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You're, you're one of those likable <laughs> people in that's there why, in the street. That's why I, uh, I'm in business for myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. but no, we but can continue. I urge everyone to just to continue talking about it and don't yeah. be afraid. You know, don't you know, and and um, and just walk into any conversation with a little bit of humility to learn, or yeah. with um, the willingness to learn. You know, yeah. about people's experiences, yeah. and it's, then think about it. You know, no one's really expecting anyone to respond right away, but it's just take it in and think about it, reflect yeah. upon uh, it. Yeah. Like I, I said to people, I am like. I'm like the king of, of white privilege, right? Like I, I'm obviously white, I'm male, I'm tall. I did above average in school, got a sports scholarship, right? Parents together, wasn't abused. <laughs> you know, it's like all the check boxes of things. Uh -huh. The only thing I didn't have is my parents didn't get me a job mm -hmm. in, a, in some cushy position, no, right? It's time other, to work, than, yeah. other than that, I've had all the, the privileges. So it's hard, so hard to put yourself in the position of someone who's, who, you know, parents made a minimum wage. They worked all their life to get you into university yeah. and you just, you had to work for everything in your entire life and people expected that you weren't wouldn't be good at it uh -huh. right you know so but i mean if anything jamie told a story uh you know where you know she had that opportunity you know or 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 with hard work and getting in with the right companies and then having the right champions and sponsors like you can get there I, yeah. I'm, I'm personally I'm, i have a similar story as jamie, yeah. jamie's um and i think hard work will get you somewhere in this industry and, yeah. and, and, and jumping outside of your comfort zone. You know, if anything, if I, I was shy coming in this industry, I was afraid to talk, yeah. you know, and, and, and there were just a few people just urging me, no, we want to hear your opinion. You know, we expect you to yeah. speak up, speak That's up. Awesome. Um, if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't have lasted, yeah. you know, and, um, and as long as, uh, you know, everyone, leaders in this industry recognize that I think we'll, we're all, we'll yeah. all do better. Yeah. And we had, yeah. we had Matt young on the podcast and he talked about when he started, he just volunteered for everything. Hey, I can do that. I can yeah. do that. I'll, I'll try that. I'll try that. And he, that was uh -huh. the best thing he ever did was did. just, 
you know, understand all parts of the industry and, 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 you know, put his opinion out there when, when he needed to. So mm-hmm. anyways, we're, we're, we're getting past our, our hour and we do have a, a rapid fire. And I know that you've, uh, listened to the, to the, the podcast before. So it's basically, uh, you know, one, two, three, five word answers. You can pass, but we'll, we'll, well, I'll just rip them up and try to really quick answers. Okay. Okay. So, Ready. Does Toronto media do a good job of reporting on the Toronto housing market? Poor. I believe so. In what year will Toronto resale prices return to March 2022 levels? Three years. Three years. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, do we have too many pre-construction condo investors? No. I don't think so. No, we need more. True or false, the Ontario Landlord and Tenant Board needs to be overhauled. Oh. Y- yes. Yeah. So. yeah. I'm not giving very long answers. Yeah. No, <laughs> yes, these are no. perfect. Yeah, these are perfect. <laughs> okay. Are you confident that the Bank of Canada knows what they're doing? Not sure. Haven't been here before, <laughs> really. You know, this is all new to people of our age bracket. You know, yeah, in yeah. the industry. I mean, so, um, I, my first, I'm not an economist either. My, my first interest rate when I bought a house in 2009 was 5.4 percent, and I thought that was going to be the highest of my entire life. And uh-huh. I just redid my mortgage 5.5. Oh, I'm like, no, no, it hurts. No, and, you know, I've been doubling up my payments. I'll tell you too. So, um, if anything, uh, I hope they they're not overshooting, but. Yeah, okay, and I, I think we're almost there. You know, yeah, yeah. I hope so. I hope so too. Yeah. Uh, okay, fill in the blank. When I'm hiring someone, the number one thing I look for is charisma. Charisma. Yeah. Okay, that's. I was gonna say. I, I say spunk. Spunk. Okay, same thing. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's my answer. I like just someone. Just I don't know. Spunky. For me, it's it's less yeah. about the the, the 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 resume because people can dress up a resume. Uh-huh. Just do we connect? Yeah. When I talk, do we connect? Do we, does it just feel right? Well, that's how I got the job with Jack. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> it's, yeah. And the references don't mean a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, do, and do your checks. This, the, no, no context, but just ask this question. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok? Instagram. Okay. Uh, what worries you more? A recession or inflation? Recession. Session, yeah, me too. It's more for employment loss. Yeah. Uh, if you if you were forced to put all your investable capital in stocks or real estate, which one would you choose? Real estate. <laughs> <laughs> we get it, right? We understand it, sort of. <laughs> I already know the, the yeah. answer to this question, but mm-hmm. should we open up the green belt? No. No, okay, I figured no. you'd say that. All right. Well, I mean. Where it makes sense. I think there's areas of the green belt that haven't really been scientifically delineated. And I think there's still a chance to yeah. uh, not open up com- completely, but there are areas. But there's a few, that, there's yeah. a few areas where the borders, the green belt that's actually really close to like go train stations right. that yeah. we could probably intensify those areas. Mm-hmm. Right. Not, we're not, not to put a 4,000 square foot single detached home, but uh-huh. you know, some, some, some interesting things. So Anyways, well, we appreciate having you on the show, and and you know you didn't get to meet the the great I Steve know, Cameron, the the one CVC. So <laughs> uh-huh. we'll have to have uh, a, another uh, have you on again in the future. So if someone wants to to look you up, where do they go to to, to find you? Ah, uh, just a Dorsey. Dorsey. <laughs> yeah, Dorsey. You have I'm a short on the website. Bio. Uh, we all, everyone has a short bio, okay. but we are revamping our uh, revamping our, our website. brands. Yeah, our. 
Yeah, we're thinking about refreshing, refreshing, it. refreshing, okay. and testing okay. out things. Nice. Yeah, but nice. it's good. Well, thanks again for, okay. for for coming. Thank you very much. It was fun. Appreciate it. <laughs>